Well, if you have your Bibles with you today, and I hope you do, turn with me first to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to look at Hebrews 4.16, and then we're going to bounce to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 13. Uh, We're in the uh, second uh, week of a a short series of messages called Deeper, and we'll kind of uh, speak to what that the vision for these messages are today. So it's a little bit different than what we normally do Uh, after this series, we're going to be uh, into, into the book of Titus, so I'm excited about studying Titus later in the fall. Let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into Hebrews 4.16. Father God, thank you for just the opportunity to, to be together and to do what Christians have always done, which is come together on a, on a weekly basis, regularly gathering together to hear from you through your word and then respond with worship. And Lord, we confess today that we need this rhythm. We, we need to come together to just be aligned again to uh, your will, your mission, your purposes. Some of us need to just get some stuff out. Some of us need to be encouraged. Lord, we just uh, thank you for just this rhythm, this spiritual rhythm that you've given us to just gather together to worship you. Lord, to, to that end, I, I pray that your spirit would come and do the work that that you've promised to do in these moments. I pray, Father, that your spirit would just give us eyes of faith to see the, the, the truth and the glory of the gospel today. But I also pray that you would convict us where we need conviction. I pray that you would encourage us where we need encouragement. Lord, in the end, I, I pray that you would be pleased in this service, that we would not say anything out of step with your will or your word. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Well, ministry is, is like a lot of things in life, that it can go through these endless cycles of fads. Fads tend to, uh, I think, overpromise and, and underdeliver. deliver There's always the latest and greatest thing around. But, but there's a balance to looking at ministry fads, because even though uh, maybe they overpromise and underdeliver, deliver there, there's a sense that God has put His people in particular churches and particular places and particular people at particular times. So every generation needs to understand the times. When I was first beginning in ministry, it was kind of at the, at the tail end of what was called the seeker-sensitive movement. And what the seeker-sensitive movement was all about was, was attempting to reach unbelievers with the gospel, but using the kind of latest and most effective marketing techniques. Now, looking back on it, you could probably see where that was going to go. There was good things that came from that, but there was also maybe abuses to that approach. But, but sadly, one of the real byproducts of the seeker-sensitive movement is that it produced a lot of shallow Christians. And so really in the face of that or in response to that, kind of my generation of guys maybe swung to another place of really trying to provide substantive, theologically driven ministry as opposed to primarily practically driven ministry. Now, you could probably say, okay, well, I know that's going to go another place. And you're right, that produce, has produced a lot of pride in different guys. But however, I, I really pray that that approach also uh, produces a lot of faithfulness. But in response to the shallowness of that movement, and I think to their credit, leaders in the seeker-sensitive movement years ago did a, 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 a kind of a, a check of the spiritual health of their people. And, and it revealed some interesting things. They wanted to understand is, okay, are our people, are they... Uh, growing from exploring Christ to being in Christ 
to them being close to Christ, to, to then to this place where they're ultimately identified with Christ, where, where they view their relationship with Christ as the transformative, most important relationship in their life. Now, now sadly, what they found was is that most people that they looked at and, and uh, tested, they, they were not growing in their spiritual life. They, they reported that their spiritual life was stalled and they were dissatisfied with their spiritual growth. H- how would you rate your spiritual growth? Do you feel like you're growing further away from Jesus or closer to Jesus? Uh, today, as we continue this series of looking at how people go deeper, and we've called it deeper for that reason, what, what, what we've tried to discover is, okay, how do we go deeper in our relationship with God so that we can then grow spiritually? And those things are connected. Those things are related. But typically, when we look at spiritual growth, we think we're supposed to be doing more, more, and more. We think we're supposed to take more classes, read more books, show up at church more frequently. We think that it's about doing more and more and more, but really what spiritual growth is about is about going deeper. However, for most of us, uh, we're many times confused on how to go deeper. Going deeper seems like a mystery. Spirituality is this mystical thing that we really don't uh, know how to put our finger on it. The good news is is that God actually provides a lot of clarity on how we're supposed to grow. And so what we're doing in this series is looking at at four different tools, if you will, on on how to grow spiritually. Last week, we we looked at how God communicates to us through his word. Today, we're going to look at how we communicate back to him through prayer. Next week, we're going to look at the role the church plays in your spiritual growth. And then we're going to look at the role the mission of God plays in our spiritual growth. Uh, Michael Haken is a professor at Southern Seminary, a professor of of biblical spirituality. And and this is how he explains spirituality. He says it's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, bringing to fruition all the things that Christ has purchased for us on the cross for the glory of God. So we've said that, that spiritual growth is this experience of knowing God so that we can then look more like him. So the, the deeper we go in our relationship with God, the more we grow spiritually. So relationship with God is the key to going deeper into growing spiritually. But the key to relationship is communication. And, and that's why we looked last week at how God primarily communicates with us. And now we're going to look at how we primarily communicate to him. But what keeps us from praying is a couple of things. First off, pride. Many of us think we don't need to pray. We got it all figured out. We don't really need God. But also shame can get in the way of prayer, right? Like we can think, listen, we're not worthy to pray to him. He doesn't want us to pray to him. He's too busy maybe for us. Or or my needs are are, are too low and he doesn't really care about it. What I want you to hear today is that prayer changes us. Prayer helps us go deeper with God. Prayer helps us grow spiritually. Prayer is where we find intimacy with God. Prayer is how we're going to conform to the image of Jesus. So I want us to ask a couple of questions today. First off, what is prayer? And then second, how does prayer help us grow deeper? And where I want us to land today is really the good news about prayer, but, but, but also some practical tips on how to pray. So the first question, what is prayer? For, uh, Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Drawing near to God is really at the the heart of prayer. And and if you're looking for a definition, prayer is simply communicating to God 
but doing it in order to draw near to God. Prayer isn't defined in the Bible. You're going to find, not going to find a definition of prayer in the Bible. Rather, beginning in Genesis, what we see with God is that he's a relational God. He, he's a person. He's not a force. He's a person. And he, and he relates. He's a, he's a relatable God. If you think about the, the doctrine of the Trinity itself, we, we believe that God is three persons, yet is one. So we're monotheistic. But what that is, is is you have these three people relating together in such a close manner that, that, they're, that we're monotheistic, okay? So the thing, if you will, that, that maybe holds the Trinity together is maybe a way to think of it, is, is this love that the three persons of the Trinity has for each other. So God is this deeply relational God. And in fact, he's a self-sustaining relational being. In other words, he doesn't need relationship with you. Like he has perfect relationship with himself, but it's love that holds the Trinity together, this relational love. However, out of that love, he then creates humans, and we are then able to have this relationship with him. So so thinking back to those first chapters in Genesis, to, to the garden, God is walking and talking with humanity, right? Like that's really the glorious thing about the garden, is that humans get to communicate with God as if like he's this other human, that God communicates with them like, like when Jesus was on earth. He was just walking around like a human, and you could talk to him. You could walk with him. Again, the Bible doesn't define prayer, but, but God communicating to his people, and then his, uh, his people communicating back with him, that's really the mark of the glories of the, of the garden in Genesis. Now, this theme continues, so if like you flip to the back of the Bible in, Genesis, or in, in Revelation 21, we get this vision of our eternal state in the new heavens and in the new earth. And what is so great about our future eternal state, why it's so ideal, is that God is going to dwell with his people. God's going to be with his people in that same way. That, that's the great hope, that's the great glory of the new heavens and the new earth. And, and just to gives more support to this as a theme. As you flip to the middle of the Bible, you see this theme over and over and over again that God is a relational God wanting to relate to his people. So, so God, with, with the patriarchs, he, he communicates with them. At one point, he wrestles with them. God, God commands his people, build a tabernacle and then build a temple because I want to dwell with my people. He communicates that when, when Jesus himself comes, here's how he describes it in John 1.14, and the word became flesh, and dwelt among us. God is this relational God. This is ingrained in, in the meta narrative that the sovereign redemptive plan of God is for him to relate to his people and thus communicate with his people. And again, he communicates through his word, but he wants us to communicate to him through prayer. So, so prayer is intertwined, if you will, with being God's people and knowing him and having a relationship with him. Now, in order to dwell with God and to walk with God, we have to communicate with God. Our relationship with him is similar to our human relationships in this way. Think about your closest human relationships. Like, how do you communicate with them? You communicate frequently with them, right? There's a depth to your communication. So if you have this person that you never talk to, you're not close to them. If you have this person that it's just surface conversations, there's no depth to it, you're not close to that person. So God is calling us in prayer to draw near to him, Hebrews 4, 16. So 
So based upon the story from Genesis to Revelation, creation to restoration, this biblical theology, the, the author of Hebrews is calling us to draw near to him. But, but notice how. Look at your verse. Draw near to him with confidence. You're to draw near to him with confidence. One of the biggest reasons people don't communicate with God the reason they don't pray to him is, is they don't think that, that they should or they don't think that God wants them to. This verse tells us that God wants you to pray to him. He wants you to go to him and, and go to him with confidence, confidently drawing near to him. In the same way uh, you, you can call a, a close friend in the middle of the night. Like, like if your best friend calls you in the middle of the night, you're going to pick up, right? If you're going to call somebody with something important in the middle of the night, it's a test of your closeness, right, if they pick up. God's going to pick up the phone, if you will. God wants you to confidently draw near to him, but why? Because he sits on a throne of grace. Do you see that? We can pray to him confidently because he has this posture to us to give us not what we deserve, but to give us grace. That's why you can go to him confidently. That's why you can pray to him, because his posture towards you is to give you grace. That's his posture towards you. You see, therefore, we will, uh, he will receive your prayer from this posture of grace. It means that, that it, it means that you don't have to clean it all up. It means you don't have to have all the right, perfect words to go to him. You, you, you can fumble through it knowing that he's going to graciously receive that communication. Maybe some of you need to hear this. God is not going to pick apart everything you say. He's not going to nitpick all this stuff. It's not a battle for him. Like his posture towards you is a, is a posture of grace. He's going to receive everything that you say to him within that context of grace. You see, when we pray to God, we, we, we don't receive what we deserve, which is judgment. Rather, we, we receive what he says here. We receive mercy. Do you see that? Isn't that glorious? Like Because Jesus died on the cross... God is in the business of giving you good things in spite of yourself. <laughs> he gives us mercy instead of judgment. He loves us, and he's taken care of our worst problem, right? He's taken care of that on the cross, and now he's in this business of having a, a posture of grace to you and a response of mercy. When you communicate to him, his response is a merciful response. You and I can draw near to him in prayer knowing that he's going he's to respond not by judging you. He's not going to judge you. He's going to respond as a tender father. That's how he's going to respond to you. So when you call on him, you, you're going to not get what you deserve, but you're going to get this merciful response from God. Now, please hear me. When you pray to him, you're going to receive help and not hurt. He says there, in your time of need, draw near to him. And you're going to find grace. In other words, you're going to receive help and not hurt. So what is prayer? Prayer is just communicating to God. But, but, it, but it's more than like an impersonal text, right? Like that's a communication. But, but God's all about relationship. He, he's all about being a personal God. So communication is about building the relationship with him. It, it's about drawing near to him. And he wants you to draw near to him in prayer. But he wants you to know that, that he wants you to come to him confidently. Knowing that he has this posture of grace. He sits on a throne of grace. That's his posture towards you. But he also wants you to know that you're going to receive mercy, not judgment from him. He's going to receive you as a tender father. You're not going to receive hurt from him. You're going to receive help from him. So 
prayer is communicating to God in order to know God. But how does prayer help us go deeper? How does prayer help us grow spiritually? Why why is it so central to our spiritual growth? The the second question here is, how does prayer help us go deeper? Look look with me at Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 13. This is this this famous Lord's Prayer. And, And really what this is, is a model prayer for disciples. Jesus gives this prayer to his disciples and says, this is how I want you to pray. But he says a couple of things about prayer, and then he gives us this model prayer. Starting in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Verse 9. Rather, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. He starts from verses 5 and 8 talking about uh, hypocrisy in prayer. You see, what he's trying to say is, is prayer is not about your relationship with other humans. Prayers is about your relationship with God. And so for you, if prayer is is ultimately about looking good in front of everybody else, if that's your reward, if that's your treasure, he's calling you a hypocrite. He's saying, listen, your prayers need to be about you and God. That's the reward. That's the treasure is this deeper relationship with him. But, But how does prayer help us grow deeper in our relationship with him? In other words, how are we supposed to pray in order to gain greater intimacy, and then grow spiritually. What, what I think is going on here is, is five key components, if you will, of this model prayer. And I just help us to remember, I'm going to title them all with a P, and I've kind of forced that P a couple of places. But the first one is praise. The second one's purpose. The third one's provision, verse 11. Number four, this is kind of where the, when the train goes off the track. Personal forgiveness and reconciliation. I had to get a P in there. And then the final one is personal piety. I want to look at all five of these. First, look at verse 9 again. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The prayer begins with this acknowledgement and thus praise of God the Father for being our Father. So he's recognizing that God is the creator God over all things. He's God, we're not. So he starts there. And it's an acknowledgement also of the relationship. He's not this impersonal God out there. He's Father. So not only is He Creator God, but we have this personal relationship with Him. And out of the context of that, we're to hallow His name. We're to make His name great. We're to acknowledge His holiness. So we're to acknowledge Him as great as Creator God, but also great in the sense that He's our, he's our Heavenly Father. We're to esteem Him. We're, we're to pray these prayers of praise for God because He personally relates to us. So praise prayers, that they help us grow deeper and spiritually because they give us perspective 
And they also soften our hearts, right? Like they give us perspective. Like if God is truly the creator God and he also relates to us as a tender heavenly father, doesn't that change your perspective of the problem that you're dealing with? It's going to be all right. He's with you in that. He's for you in that. He's a tender father with you in that. But also, doesn't that then soften your heart towards him? Doesn't that just make you walk through life and live life in a different way? Confident that God is with you and for you. In the end, praise prayers. They enable us to joy in his presence as we face life in a more faithful and spiritually mature way. Number two, verse 10 says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus talked about the kingdom more than anything else. If you wanted a theme to his preaching, it was kingdom. And kingdom really is about God's rule. So this is how God wants things to be done. Now we know that that's not going to happen perfectly until Jesus returns, okay? But in the here and now, we're supposed to live as citizens of a kingdom that is to come. We're supposed to live different than everybody else, live by a different ethic. And in doing so, we're kind of bringing down the kingdom. We're, we're, we're giving taste of the kingdom now, even though we know it's never going to be fully realized until the king shows up. In other words, the kingdom then is God's purpose. This is God's purpose. This is what he's trying to do in the world. And so we're to, to pray his purposes. We're, we're to pray that his kingdom is to be done on this world as if it has already come. We know it's not going to already come, but, but we're to pray for God's purposes in this world. So, so we're to pray uh, for this world in different ways. And we're to pray that, that we participate in that. We're, we're to pray for our heart and for our relationships and our situations and our world as a whole. That they would line up with God's kingdom purposes. Purpose prayers, they help us grow deeper and spiritually. Because they, they kind of put us in line with God's will, right? Like they put us in line with his will versus our own fleshly will. Like we all have these fleshly desires, but we're to have kingdom desires. And if we pray this way, it helps us then walk in, in, according to God's will. Purpose prayers, they, they reveal when we're not in God's will. So, so they, it gives us space to work towards those redemptive goals. But like when you get up early and you start your day praying like this, it, it helps you just get your life lined up according to what God wants it to be. So living for his purposes, it causes us to, to seek him, to seek his will. Now, in my life, what that uh, highlights is, is the ways that I'm not, but it also highlights my need for him. So then we lean on him and we're empowered by him as a result. So further, living for his purposes then causes us to live for him instead of living for ourselves. And in the end, these purpose prayers, they lead us to intimacy with God and to spiritual maturity. Number three in verse 11, it says, give us this day our daily bread. So in addition to these really high and glorious and, and seemingly these big sacred prayers about his kingdom and who Jesus is, Jesus thinks that we ought to also pray for daily provisions. In other words, Jesus doesn't think it's unspiritual to pray for daily provisions. God cares about your daily bread. That's what is at the heart of this. And further, this phrase acknowledges that God is the provider. Do you see that? You see that going on there? God cares about your daily provisions. And he cares that you acknowledge him as the provider. So this prayer is asking for the provider to provide. That's what's going on here. 
So uh, one way of reading this is that you could say, okay, this is acknowledging that he will provide. And so as a result, it's, it's like a, it's a prayer of supplication asking God to provide for his provision. But notice that it's also a prayer of faith, right? Believing that he is going to provide. That, that's what is at the heart of this. So these provision prayers, they help us grow deeper and they help us grow spiritually because they keep us humble and they keep us trusting in God in the real broken world. You see, if you're full of pride, God's not going to allow you into his presence, right? See further Lucifer. Why does Lucifer get kicked out of heaven? It's pride. That's his great sin, right? So if you have pride, you don't think you, you need God's help. You can provide for everything on your own. You don't need his provision. Friend, you're never going to be close with God. And if you're not close with God, then you're never going to be spiritually mature. So humility. Humility is a mark of spiritual maturity. When you say, I need your help with my daily bread. I need you as the provider to provide. Please provide for me. But then also, you grow spiritually in that moment because you're trusting him for that. You don't know where the provision is going to come, but you know it's going to come through him. You're, you're trusting him in that prayer. So provision prayers, they help us grow deeper by keeping us humble and thus in the presence of God. And then, and then they help us trust God for the right now with our tangible needs. When number four in verse 12, it says, Forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, I do think at this point, the, the prayer kind of takes a, a personal turn, like examining his own heart, right? Like this is a personal prayer for forgiveness, but it's also a personal prayer for reconciliation. So it, it takes humility. It takes authenticity. I think it takes spiritual maturity to know that you've sinned and then seek forgiveness, right? Like that guy who never asked God for forgiveness, he thinks he's got it all figured out. Like that's like the definition of pride, right? And, and if you're prideful and not humble, then you're not spiritually mature. However, no one is perfect, right? Like, let me set the expectations this way. For the rest of your life, you're going to be sinning against other people, and thus you're going to need to ask God for forgiveness, right? So, so this is just going to be part of your daily prayers the rest of your life. And just to set expectations going the other direction, for the rest of your life, other people are going to be sinning against you, and, and you're going to have to forgive them. So forgiveness is it's just going to be at the heart of your prayers. So through the cross, God has, has, has done that hard work of forgiving us of our sins. And if he can forgive us of all these awful things, can't we forgive other people? So through the cross, God becomes this fuel for us to then forgive other people. That's why we can forgive other people, because he has already forgiven us. So personal prayers of forgiveness and reconciliation, they help us grow deeper, they help us grow spiritually, because they're able to live these clean, righteous lives. Listen, long list of grievances, that's going to poison your soul, right? Listen, bitter people, they're, they're like the older brother in the parable, right? Bitter people who have these long list of grievances that are slow to forgive, that's going to keep them from the presence of God. That's going to keep them from growing spiritually. Now, you can amen this if you want, but forgiveness is hard because it always costs, right? 
And listen, if you're one of those quick to forgive types, may the Lord bless and keep you. I wish it was more like you. I'm envious of you. I'm kind of jealous of you. But for the other 90% of you in my camp, forgiveness is hard, right? It costs something. It costs Jesus something. It cost him his life. But out of that debt that he paid, that's how we then forgive other people, right? So personal prayers about forgiveness, they're hard and they cost. But when we forgive, we go deeper in our intimacy with Jesus. It forces us to lean on him in fresh ways. It forces us to identify with him again. And then we gain this aroma of Jesus, right? When we're the quick to forgive type, there's just a... A Jesus aroma about those people. There's a different aroma for the bitter people, and it's not a Jesus aroma, right? So he's calling us to forgive rather than, than, be, than hold on bitterly to those wrongs. Well, number five, the final turn here is verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So this is a personal prayer for piety or for holiness. Now, now remember, Spirituality is all about looking like Jesus. You've been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So spiritual growth, it's evidenced by when you look like Jesus. However, God has created us with, with heads, with hearts, and with hands, right? You, you, an aspect of who you are is your head, your thoughts, your, your heart, your emotions, your hands or your words, these behaviors that come out. We also have an inner self and an outer self. So, so when we commit these outer sins, maybe with our, with our hands or with our words, they're really connected to these things going on in the inside. They're connected to these inner temptations with our heads and with our hearts. Therefore, uh, our personal prayer life for piety, it includes this battle against sin. And, and this battle, it starts on the inside. It starts with the temptations, right? So, so personal prayers for piety it helps us grow deeper and spiritually because they help us battle those sinful thoughts and those sinful emotions. So, so prayer is where we get that stuff out. Prayer is where we deal with that stuff. It's where we, re- we repent and we believe something new and we feel something different. So we can't go deeper in our relationship with God. We can't grow spiritually unless we have a, an, an uncle- if we, unless we have a clean mind and a clean life, right? If your thoughts are filled with filth, then you can't be right with God. That's where you're to battle it is on the inside. We can't grow spiritually if we live immoral lives. Personal prayers for piety is where we fight our most pressing spiritual battles. Friends, growing spiritually, it's about going deeper. It's about doing these kind of tried and true spiritual disciplines that lead to greater intimacy with Jesus. And then... Uh, lead to greater transformation or conformity to the image of Jesus. And, and relational intimacy, it, it's linked to communication. So, so we have to receive his communication, his word. We have to understand it and interpret it and then apply it to our lives. But, but then we have to communicate back to him. We're, we're to communicate back to him in prayer. The, the Lord's Prayer from Matthew 6, it then serves as a guide for us on how we're supposed to communicate. We're, we're to pray prayers of praise and purpose and provision and personal forgiveness and reconciliation and prayers for personal piety. That's how we grow deeper. That's how we, that's how we grow spiritually. But, but how? Let's close with some, some practical tips on how to do that. But before we get to that, I want to 
close with, with the good news of prayer. Can we take a second to do a, like, a, like a heart check here? Here's your heart check. If you think prayer is drudgery and not delight, then you have a heart problem. Now be encouraged. That's also probably 90% of us, right? Like if you go to prayer, and it's not delight to go to God with that, but it's this drudgery, this spiritual drudgery that you have to do, then you have a heart problem, Okay. Because prayer is all about drawing near to God. This, this person that is the most glorious thing that there is, you get to have a relationship with him. You get to know him. Again, Hebrews 4.16, you get to draw near to him. You get to draw near to him confidently because his posture is a posture of grace. He wants to give you mercy. He wants to help you in your time of need. You have access to all of that. Isn't that good news? Isn't that delight? Listen, when you draw near to him, you know what you find? You find this glorious being that's unlike anything else. And when you're in his presence, you know what's there? That's where joy is. It's this well that never runs dry. That's what you get in prayer. I love Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. He says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. Why? To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. The good news of prayer is Jesus. The good news of prayer is that you get to see him in all of his glory. You get to be in his presence. That was Jesus' prayer for you. That's what he wanted for you. He wanted you to know him. That's the good news of prayer. It's joy. When you get more Jesus, you get more joy. That's the good news of prayer. So I want to challenge you maybe in your prayer life. And, and I'm going to put this in two categories, okay? First, are, we're called to pray, but maybe just to get practical here, I think we should have sporadic prayers, and I think we should have scheduled prayers. Let, let me explain what I mean. First Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. How in the heck do we do that? What, what does that look like? Well, I, I, I think at the end of the day, that's like sporadic prayers. It's this prayer life where we, we pray throughout the day. So as you wake up, as you get out of bed, as you get in the shower, pray instead of being anxious about the worries of the day. Throw up those prayers as you're driving to work. Find those quiet 15 seconds of your day to thank God for something. Thank God for the little blessings. Thank Him for the, for the safe ride, for the good friend, for the meal. Praise Him for a, a beautiful morning that you're getting to experience. Praise Him uh, thank Him for beautiful weather. Thank Him for your school. Th- thank Him that you get to have a school that you get to go to. Praise Him for the wins and ask Him to help you with the struggles. Finally, in these sporadic prayers, I, I want to encourage you, pray the Scriptures. So, so as you're hearing from Him uh, uh, through the Word, pray those things back to Him. Like you should have Bible verses that, that you're just kind of mulling over and pondering and meditating on. As you mull over those verses, pray those back to him. This week I came across in my devotional reading one of, one of my favorite verses, First Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. I, I was challenged once again just, just to pray that back to him. God, I'm worried about this, but I'm going to cast this worry on your shoulders. I know you're going to hear it, and I know that you can bear this, this worry. I know you, you've got this. Thank you for caring for me. Thank you for taking care of this. Even when I don't know how it's going to turn out, I know it's going to turn out. I know you got this because of this verse. 
Pray the scriptures back to him. Okay, scheduled prayers. I think you should also have these, these rhythms of a scheduled prayer life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share just some of my prayer life. Maybe this is helpful for you. Maybe it isn't. This is kind of my structured prayer life in the morning. Years ago, I learned the, the ACTS prayer structure, the word acts. This is just a, a simple way to pray. I have found it helpful. Uh, and let me just walk through each of these four letters. First, A stands for adoration. So in my morning devotions, I, I open my prayers by just praising God. I praise Him for who He is. I, I praise Him for what He has done. I, I praise Him for being so glorious that He doesn't make mathematical sense. Three and one, I don't even know what that means. I praise Him that He doesn't fit with any box that I put God in. He's outside of all those boxes. I, I try to pick a particular attribute. God is love. God is holy. And I just praise Him for that. So every day you should pray prayers of adoration. The C stands for confession. After my moment of just adoration and praise and my morning prayers, I, I just confess sins to God. For me, this, this just keeps my soul clean. It keeps my prayers genuine. We, we should confess in order to face our sins and then take them where we're supposed to take them, which is the cross. Every day you're going to have things to confess. Every day you should, you should confess actions and words. You should also confess sinful thoughts and desires. Every day we should pray prayers of confession. The, the T stands for thanksgiving. So in my morning devotion, I then turn to just thanking God for specific things. This helps me by kind of keeping in check both my worries and like my prideful entitlements. It keeps me in this place of gratitude. It just forces me away from those things, and it just helps me be grateful. Like we should thank God for who he is. We should thank him for what he's done. We should thank him like broadly for what he's done and accomplished, but we should get real specific, I think, at this point. We should just thank him for what he's done for us specifically. We should thank him for the good things that he's given us. We should thank him for relationships in our lives. We should thank him for our church. We, we should thank him for, what, uh, for how he provides for us. Every day we should pray prayers of thanksgiving. And, and finally, S is for supplication. So in my morning devotion, I just... I close uh, my prayers by just asking God for things. But probably the, the best translation of prayer is to ask. So, so, so it's not an unspiritual thing to ask God for things. Now, I want to encourage you with a couple of things here. You should ask him for things that are according to his heart. Okay. Now, one of the things that I found helpful about this structure of prayer is it's, it's hard for me to start asking for Lamborghinis and whatever, if I've gone through those other three steps, right? Like you're supposed to ask God for the things according to his will, according to his heart. The other thing I'll warn you with, God is God will tell you no, okay? Like the old Garth Brooks song, the older I get, the more I look back, and I'm like, I'm glad he told me no on that one, okay? Like God reserves the right to tell you no. However, we should ask him to, to help us faithfully uh, walk with him, to faithfully use us for his glory. We should ask him to, to bless and keep us, to bless and keep our family and our friends and our church. We should ask him for specific things like healings and to bless our business and to help us pass a test. We should also ask him for these, these broad things like things for our country and for missionaries around the world and for peace in the world. Every day we should pray prayers of supplication. Now, friend, if that is a too simplistic approach for you, that's fine. You're 
I don't know, you're better than me in some way. You're more sophisticated than me. I'm happy for you. But this has been this just simple pattern that I have found for 25 years that, that has just worked for me. It's been, it's been helpful for me to just to, to draw me into intimacy with God and then let him do his work. A, a couple years ago, a, a group of uh, our leaders from church, we, we went to this pastor's conference. And one of the highlights of the conference for me, and, and maybe the reason why I went, is I wanted to hear uh, one particular uh, pastor. He's my, one of my favorite, maybe my favorite preacher I think my favorite writer, and I was so, but he was so, he's like 75. He was so energetic. He was just filled with life. It just encouraged me. John Piper that day preached this sermon on the holiness of God, and it just challenged me in such wonderful ways. He called believers to, to live holy lives. And then after a sermon, he did this Q&A with, with another pastor. And during that Q&A, at one point, he spoke about his prayer life when he was a younger pastor. I, I, was, I was pretty locked in at this point. And, and he explained that, that there, there were years and, and seasons of his ministry where he really struggled with discouragement and, and even to the degree of just full-out depression. Now, now, his pattern as a pastor is he would take Thursday off. And so when his kids were younger, what he would do is he would take the kids, drop them off at school, and then he would go to this local park in Minneapolis, and he would just pray, okay? But these aren't, these aren't the polite, he said these were like the crying prayers. You ever had the crying prayers? But that's where he was, and he was just getting that out. Now look, on paper, that church was just humming along. It was healthy, it was growing, but it brought all this Thing, all these things in his life that just overwhelmed him, these decisions that he didn't know uh, what direction to take. He was supposed to be this visionary leader. He's like, I had no vision for any of it. He, he had, this, he had these uh, difficult personnel decisions that he had to deal with. And, and listen, uh, as I look at Piper, and I think this is a fair evaluation, he's an insightful teacher. But like firing people, building campaigns, bold visionary decisions – all of that just drained him emotionally and spiritually. Therefore, those Thursdays, you, you would find him sitting in that park just crying prayers of help to God. Years later, he, he wrote this blog at, on DesiringGod.com. It's the, the title of the article is, How I Almost Quit. And, and what he does in the article is he just publishes a, a section from his prayer journal. And, and he talked about how inadequate he felt doing certain, and he admits, just key aspects of the pastoral ministry for today's age. But, but he just felt so inadequate with it. At one point, he said that he had spent hundreds of hours as part of a building committee. And then he described it that it was deadening to his soul. <laughs> I get it, bro. One of his uh, consistent prayers in that park was that God would keep him. That God would just just keep him. He begged God to keep him faithful, to, to, to keep him to be a faithful husband, to keep him to be a, a faithful father, to, to keep him to be a faithful pastor. One of the glorious things about kind of his account that I found so encouraging is this: he, he said God never failed to help him eventually see God's glory. He started there, discouraged, depressed, he went to that throne of grace, and then he was able to see God in all his glory. In other words, God would always just stir his love for him. In fact, he said that 
I never, he goes, I never stepped into the pulpit not loving God's word, not loving this truth that I got to proclaim to his people, not loving his people. What a miraculous transformation from Thursday to Sunday. Amen? That's what God does. Prayer changes us. It changes us. Listen, I want you to see that today. I want you to, I want you to hear this, that prayer changes us. It helps us go deeper with God. It, it helps us grow spiritually. It, it helps us be more intimate with Him. It, it helps transform us into conformity into His image. Friends, I long for you to grow. That, that's been my prayer for you, is that God would help you go deeper. And, and the, the deeper you go in your relationship with God, the, the more spiritually mature you're going to grow. Don't you want to know Him? Don't you want to look more like Him? Brothers and sisters, draw near to God in prayer. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I, I thank you for these passages. And, and Lord, we just, we just thank you for the reminder that we can come to you in prayer. You are almighty. You are holy, holy, holy. There is no being like you. You're self-sustaining. You're all-powerful. Yet you call us to come into your presence. And when we come there in prayer, we're going to find a tender father sitting on a throne of grace, promising us mercy and not judgment. Father God, help us to be people of prayer. Transform us day in and day out as we pray to you. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen.